0: And so Sam would make an art asset and then break it into pieces and export it as individual pieces, then Seth would go animate it somehow.
1: Uh, and and that was a Somehow thing that- indeed. <laughs> Butters- Scotch- shenanigans. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 264 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer.
0: I'm Adam and I'm drinking terrible coffee. I'm Sam and I'm the artiste.
1: And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is June 21, 20, Blendy. Before we get started, we have a warning, swears. We're going to do them on this show, so just know that that's coming. We'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. If you'd like to support this uh, podcast, get over to moneygrab.bscotch.net, and we'll just go ahead and grab your money. Let's talk about life. What Standing desks. Mm. Standing desks. Let's talk about them. Uh, I got one. Sam, you got one. You've had one for quite some time.
0: I have. I've had mine for probably six months now. I've decided – so it was about last – it was last October, I think, or November, after I had done something like another 100-plus hours of art practice at home, bent over a surface like a like a strange – you know, which like a caveman Scrawling like a, on a like tablet, it's yes, like, a, like a technical caveman mm-hmm. that I decided caveman. <laughs> I hate this and I shouldn't have to do this. So, what am I doing? And so, uh, yeah, I got I basically actually got a desktop machine which I hadn't had I hadn't had like a fancy desktop that actually has power, uh, for you I mean f- desktop think? computer, yeah, right. desktop mean, computer, okay. yeah, yeah, for about four years or so because. You know, it's one of those things like at some point you're just like, well, I want to stay mobile, stay light. And so I kind of switched to a laptop for a couple of years and then we had the studio. blah, blah. blah. So I ended up getting my home office set up and then found myself still, you know, kind of hunched over stuff all the time. And sitting yep. down always was just kind of annoying. And so I did some research and then ended up finding a, a desk. So I use this one called an uplift desk, which has little programmable keys. So you program the, the position, you hit the button, and it's like, and then it puts it where it needs to go, right? And it's like having an R2-D2 assistance situation. Yeah, it is. And uh, everybody can hear it screaming too when I turn on and there's a, a voice mm-hmm. chat happening, which is very fun. So I switched to it because, you know, I, I just realized I was like, I if, I'm, if this is my job and one of the tools for my job is actually my body position and also my body, right? So I need to make sure that I can – have those both be good enough that i'm not in a a serious amount of pain or putting myself into trouble in like five years it's a devops problem right like solve this problem here it is not later and so yeah i got i switched over um and it's been good i honestly probably stand for like not that much every day but even 30 minutes to like two hours is fucking amazing compared to constantly sitting and so yeah,
1: I think that's the key. Yeah.
0: So Seth, you got yours yours came in what, on Friday?
1: Mine came in on Friday. Uh so yeah, this I I also got the uplift desk just because I did want the I wanted the the ability to to move it up and down without just being stuck yes. standing or stuck sitting cuz I don't want to be right back in the same problem but different. I don't want to be standing for 12 hours a day. Because that also just sounds terrible. Yeah, it actually right. is very bad for you. Yeah, it's Basically, yeah. the point is, it's very bad to do either one of these things all the time. Don't do something
0: for 12 hours a day. Just, <laughs> yeah. just don't. Well, really, the uh, good part is moving. Yeah, so correct. it's actually
1: moving between sitting and standing. That's the part that's good for you. So but, really, you need a squat desk that just constantly is moving up and down. And you just <laughs> do it squats. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're just doing very uh, slow squats all day. That would be extremely Yeah, painful. so I got the thing. First of all, this thing is a tank. Yeah. I mean, it is heavy. I didn't realize this this desk probably weighs 200 pounds. It's a hefty one. It is It uh, is so think about getting monster. One,
0: but does that mean I have to carry 200 pounds up 3 flights of stairs Yes. To my house? No,
1: because well it comes in it comes in like four boxes of which parts. How much
0: each box weigh?
1: You know, they're they're they're, fi- are,
0: they're fine. Actually, the problem is the top of the desk because it's like a solid piece of wood. And people forget just how fucking heavy, yeah, heavy. wood is. <laughs> it's heavy
1: and big right yeah so, yeah so this this new desk is it's it's uh six it's sixty inches, so I guess five feet right sixty inches by thirty inches. My old desk was twenty four by forty eight so already I'm like boom, huge real estate uh the legs of this desk are like hi- industrial hydraulic monsters uh. They're the each leg is super heavy, and I was thinking about the logistics of this because it has two individual legs, and they have to be perfectly calibrated. Because if one of them is like a quarter of an inch higher, then your whole desk is sloped, right? Mm-hmm. So the engineering on this thing, super fucking cool. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I got I got it all put together. It took like an hour and a half to to put the thing together, and then another half hour to like get all my shit cleared off my old desk. You know, make the mm-hmm. make the move. Uh it's, it's kind of like when uh, when people need to change their purse out for the night and they got to dump all the shit out and like figure out what mm-hmm. to take. You know, it's the same kind of thing. But uh, so I, I got it. I got it set up. I programmed my three states, sitting, standing, and standing with shoes because, you know, your shoes give you like an extra, you know, half an inch or quarter <laughs> inch <laughs> yeah. of, of height. And you don't want to fuck up your ergonomics just because you put boots on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I, I stood for like an hour on – on Friday, and my feet fucking hurt because I was like, I just that's haven't stood. Crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. Like the the most I've had to stand is just kind of like, maybe maybe I'll go for in a short walk with my yeah. with my dog, or I'll like I'll walk from one place to another in the house. But but everything that happens in the house is just as, is sitting or lying down, right? Um, maybe I'll cook. I'll cook something for for twenty minutes or something. Now that, that's it. So my feet were killing me. And I was like, okay, clearly I need to like – I need to get back in to using – just using my body <laughs> for things. Uh, so sa- Saturday, I I did some work on the computer and stuff, and I was just determined to stand as much as possible to kind of like get, just get past the hump. Um, I woke up this morning. My ass hurt. <laughs> like, like from literally just standing. You don't realize just how out of shape – you get from just sitting. Well, I mean, honestly, it's hours. important. Like, if
0: you, you know, when you're, um, like, if you ever get stuck in a hospital and you just have to, and you're stuck in a bed for a couple of weeks or something like that, even a couple of days, like, your body just starts melting, like, just straight up, like, just the it whole just thing. It just gives up. It's like, I don't need these muscles anymore. Don't even well, worry actually, about it. It's actually, it's that muscles are very costly to maintain. So yes. your body's like, I don't need these. Let me just recycle. Right. So it starts, body's just, start just being efficient. It's just being efficient. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so that's been really nice, uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to actually being able to work. But I was I was thinking about I was having a conversation with uh, Sampada because she's been running, and she made a, an interesting comment about how how she would run on treadmills back when we were able to you know go to gyms. Mm-hmm. Um, she would run on treadmills and always had just a hell of a time breaking past this certain pace. Mm. Uh, to To like run in, in a mile. And now she's running outdoors. Uh, so not on a treadmill and, and running in it. We, we have like a really bad hilly area, like right near our place. Yeah, it's like it's big a big loop. It's a rough it's run. A, it's a steep ass hill. Um, and she is running that loop, uh, which is also a mile. She's running that loop like a minute and a half faster than she was able to do on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of talking about how, Weird that is, but I, I think it's because when you're on a treadmill, you have a you you set you just pick a pace, you just pick one, right? And depending on what your body needs, because like as you run over the course of a mile, you're going to speed up, you're going to slow down, you know, you're mm. gonna you're gonna be changing your your pace depending on how it feels and depending on your stride, on and hill, all that awesome stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But treadmill doesn't give a fuck. Treadmill is just like this is how you're running, which means you're going to be. At the the wrong pace, just a lot of the time, and you're gonna just have a harder time getting there. You're gonna feel worse. You're gonna go slower, right? Because you're you're not able to respond to what your your body needs to do. I was thinking about this standing desk thing, mm. you know, where well, like we were we were uh, in our our level head post mortem on Friday, which was a, basically a six hour meeting, right? We were just like breaking down all the things that went. Just chat. So go, we're going on level head. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But point is sitting there chatting for six hours. And at various points, because like I didn't have my standing desk at that point. So at various points, I was like laying on the floor. I was standing and like trying to aim my webcam up because as, as you're just chatting with people for that long, you know, you gotta move around. Yeah. You can't just you can't just sit in a chair stationary talking to people for six hours. It's it's crazy um yeah, build, yeah there's building some of that work and some of that variability and i think it's,
0: especially we, you know now with so many people who are working remote um like i you know we used to when we work in the office we would you would you would physically have to get up to go talk to someone right or to go check out someone's yeah. machine
1: or we'd go to we'd go to a conference room and we would be just standing in there yep or chatting, go down to the right? break room
0: right uh every you know hour or two to go grab like a new cup of coffee or whatever else and so like and then that, that included, you know, the flight of stairs, and then probably standing around talking to someone for a couple extra. minutes. Yeah, there
1: was just so, a lot of uh, just natural movement.
0: Yeah, you know. And so that definitely is something to keep in mind uh, if you're if you're one of the people who's who is now working from home, or even if you're not necessarily working, but you're uh, or working from home. But uh, just something to keep in mind is that moving your body is is absolutely crucial to keeping it actually functioning for as long as possible. So,
1: definitely yeah, do it. it's, it's one of those it's one of those perks. You know, we talk about. Uh, if you're working from home, you no longer have a commute, right? Which is great, but also um, having that – whatever it is, you know, 15, 20 minutes of of sort of like a hard break between your home life and your work life, um, it allows – it sometimes allows you to get more done at work because you're definitely like in more of a work mode. And it also gives you time to like listen to a podcast or something on the way to work or just like think about things for a while. Um, and a, a lot of the structures that get created by a physical working space are actually kind of conducive to just like being a person, you know, walking around or, or standing in a conference room mm-hmm. to chat about things, you know, and you, you just, just don't, don't realize more than one
0: kind of thing. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just period. Okay, uh, just period. And you just don't realize how many of those things you, you lose when you switch to a work from home until- months down the line when you stand for one hour and your ass hurts. (laughs) So yeah, it's just, it's something to think about. And I was thinking about the cost because like the the desk was, was pricey. I mean, yeah, there there are cheaper ones out there for sure. But uh, as far as like the the types. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think it was probably like 800 bucks or something. Um, But I was thinking about this in the context of, of sort of like dollars per hour. Right. Mm -hmm. So, if I'm if I'm at this desk for like seventy hours a week, which I definitely am, mm-hmm. uh then over the course of a year of the of the first year of having this desk, I will have spent like twenty cents per hour of using this desk. It's just like the bed. Uh, it's like
0: Adam's bed jet that we were talking about, right? Yeah, exactly. You know? right? Find those things that you actually are using all the time and make it's just sure all you're the time. doing them very well.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh yeah. Most hours of the day you're you're using this thing, you know, and and it's easy to look at, the, at the, uh, the cash outlay and just be like, oh, no thanks, right? But when you start to actually think about the, the benefits that you get and just how much time mm. you're going to be using this thing, it, it really adds up. So uh, anyways, I thought, I thought kind of it's, it's been really nice to have. And I think that that, that realization of like the, the treadmill versus running thing um, was kind of an interesting mm. analogy. Uh, so let's talk about, before we talk about studio stuff, let's talk a little bit about Avatar, the show.
0: Yeah, which has uh, been blowing up on so, Netflix. I'm sure everyone's seen it be, it's been talked about for
1: a couple of weeks now, I feel like, since it came out. Yeah. Basically. yeah. This show's been out since early 2000s, right? Like, it's been around. And the people who did see it back then um, have always known that it's a great show, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it came to Netflix and now all of a sudden it's just there and all these people – all these millions of people who are subscribing to Netflix just get to – they just get to check it out without having to do anything extra, right? Um, and I'm one of those people. I had never seen it. We didn't have – Nickel- I think it was on Nickelodeon, right? Yeah. So yeah. like we didn't have a cable and stuff growing up. So we didn't, even, we didn't even know that this show existed back then. Yeah, I, I saw it, I'm it my pretty
0: senior year at one of my friends' house
1: yeah um and so it's i i checked it out i ended up watching the entire thing also all three seasons in like a week uh it's it is so fucking good i get it <laughs> like i i get why people are pumped about it uh sam you said you just you just started it yeah i just started so it with my wife of, uh
0: on on saturday and it's it's fascinating because i think you know when it just it, – the characters are very fun and strong and they're interesting. Uh Their relationships are, are, are of, like always one of the focuses of any given episode. You know, any two people or sort of what they're working through. But then beyond that, the comedic timing uh and the visual gags are just like – They are just, just top-notch. Good. Just real good. And like di- my wife and I watched uh, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, a few weeks ago and – Watched the second one, but like it wasn't quite as good as the first and we couldn't quite figure out why it was definitely the jokes, but we did it wasn't hundred percent clear exactly why they didn't quite work. Um, But then when it came to watching Avatar, it's like, oh, here's like here that is again, like that, that sort of just, just funness even when it's enmeshed in like really horrifying things or like you're running away from someone who's literally trying to burn you to death in the case of avatar. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then like, and they literally somehow crack like a visual gag as that's happening. Right. Or like a, or an actual joke. And so it's, it's just really fun. It's just a very fun show to watch. Yeah. They do such a good job of contrast between yeah. these sort of competing, really dark and intense kinds of, moments that 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 are interspersed and, and and they do it right so it's not they don't like make light of a thing that's actually just dark correct. but they surround the dark thing with light things right so that it all still kind of works and so yeah it, it's a it's a remarkable it is just a remarkable job of storytelling and, and also the the amount of of effort they put into normalizing stuff like it, like in the real world that they want to be normalized right uh, is also really interesting because how like how how women characters work in the show and how like disabled characters work in the show um uh, if you actually pay really close attention you'll notice that you mostly don't notice which is actually the point right? that's the mm-hmm. point yeah uh, yeah and uh and when you do notice it's because they're kind of drawing attention actually to like in the real world a thing that that inequality that exists here right that like in the sh- in the context of the show is actually a surprise when it appears because That's the thing that should be normal, not the fact that the that the inequality exists. You know, Mm -hmm. there's like like, all like like, every dimension of that show, from the storytelling, the characters, like the messages they're trying to give, because like the the characters do are little shits a lot of the time, right? Mm -hmm. And they mistreat each other here and there because they're kids, right? And they do some fucked up things, and in within the span of like a single episode, somebody will make a mistake, and then they'll talk it through and then they'll recover and then forgive each other. Right. And, and move their relationship forward. Right. And this like really amazing way that, you know, if you think about like modern sitcoms and stuff where the whole, the reason that modern sitcoms exist is that all the characters are shits to each other the whole time. That's like, mm-hmm. that's how, and the, and the fact that they don't resolve their conflicts is actually what allows the thing to persist over, you know, 10 different seasons. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it's like, it's just so wholesome. And then so like also, Intense, you know,
1: yeah, you We're know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably gonna get a lot of flack first for what I'm about to say, but here's the thing Dude, I'm not on it. Twitter, I'm not on Twitter, so nobody has any way of giving me flack. You can't get, so, hit, on,
0: you can't get hit by the <laughs> flack cannon.
1: So, The Office, I watched it. They might, in my opinion, they might as well call this show A Bunch of assholes Working together. <laughs> Because, like. <laughs> because yeah I loved it the first time and then the, the second time through I
0: started to get a little iffy because and the, and my wife has rewatched it a few times so I like that like recut bits and pieces of it you know and each subsequent time I saw an episode I was like oh that's kind of
1: yeah You like once like, you once you start thinking about like if you, if you think about these characters as people um, you know you've got like Jim who is who is constantly bullying Dwight just constantly, right? Like, mm-hmm. Dwight, co- Dwight comes into work. All Dwight wants to do is grow his beats and move up the corporate ladder, right? Like, he's not hurting anybody. He's just chilling. And all of a sudden, his fucking staplers and the fuck in his desk, uh, embedded in jello. And that's just a thing that he has to deal with now mm-hmm. because somebody else thought it would be funny to like interfere with his stuff, right? And, uh, yeah, like the characters are are constantly trying to get out of doing anything useful or helping each other. Uh, they're screwing each other over all the time. I don't know. Just like as I was watching, I was like, I don't like any of these people. Mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. just they're just bad. They're just bad people who yeah. are bad think, to each other. I think rewatching
0: isn't? sitcoms is very enlightening because also one of the other ones that my wife and I watched like, for, seemingly forever ago now is How I Met Your Mother, and. At first I like I actually found like all the characters pretty endearing and like kind of funny because like because they're like they're deeply flawed, but like it's all about the jokes, right? Uh but the more the seasons wore on, um, the more I started actually to I started to like look past the immediacy of like the jokes and like this where mm. all like everything seems very positive even when it's you know negative and stuff. And I started to, I started to be able to kind of see past it and just see just how fucked up. Mm everything was and like, right. and like and uh and like how misogynistic the show is like they, like actually on every level you look at it, it is fucked up it is like it is horrible but mm. they somehow managed to hide it behind the set of like of the stuff that it, this is the like, laugh like, tracks behind left tracks right and the idea of like yeah. what's being normalized right and they've actually taken yeah. all the things that are, that are normal about how shitty real people are to each other all the time and they turned that into the joke
1: into right. like a celebration,
0: yeah. Which is, which is actually also what the office is, right? They're taking like the real things that that people do to be shitty to each other, mm-hmm. and then they take it to an absurd level so that it becomes a joke. When but what's underneath the surface is like this is like the real shittiness that that yep. people actually have, right? But how does and, that compared, uh, like, because uh, Parks and Rec, for example, as a different I mean, Parks, Parks and Rec has similar but different sort of. It does, place, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, there's like I I love, like I love the way Parks they treat Drives yeah, me fucking crazy. Yeah, the fact the fact that there's a character who who just is bullied by the entire rest of the characters the whole time um, the the entire time it just doesn't have to be there, mm. you know, um, and because uh, because those characters are actually like once you once you cut that out uh, if you if you didn't have that the story would still be the same.
0: Yep,
1: and and you would just have a bunch of people who are just actually nice to each other. You know?
0: Yeah. Uh, except for, yeah. except for Tom, who's has, kind of, in my opinion, no redeemable quali- redeemable qualities the entire time. <laughs> uh, is just a piece of shit, like all the way through.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Adam, uh, I, I agree with this idea that, you know, these shows are, were all written in a, in a certain cultural point in time, you know, this is true and, for those uh, that are
0: coming out now.
1: Oh but yeah, in, it, like, is, it is the but, current but I'm, time I'm, is
0: not also a good time, you know. Yeah.
1: But I'm talking about actually the us as the viewers, right? Yeah. Um and like when when these shows are are written, they're they're oftentimes written around the things that people just take for granted, you know, in that at that point in time. And so do we as the viewers, right? Like sure, you go into the office and you just bully people. That's like how, that's how you do it. It's a, it's a um, shitty
0: experience and nobody's having a good time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then ten years later, you know, as you as you yourself have learned more about the world and how hey, you know maybe don't treat people like shit, maybe just don't do that uh, uh, and then you go back and rewatch this thing that you used to love, and you realize this is mm. horrifying mm. <laughs> the kinds of the kinds of things that this uh celebrates and normalizes are terrible which and and this is where I think where I think kind of looping it back uh well, I think avatar it deserves a lot of of respect. Uh, for what they've they've done because that just isn't present in this show.
0: Yeah, it's just not
1: there. Um uh, and it's and it's a much older show than a lot of these other things. Like it's it's good people trying to do good things. Uh sticking together and they're just not treating each other like shit. Like yep. how how novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, when, I mean they, when, the, when
0: they are treating each other like shit, it's clearly bad. Like it's it's they want you to know that that's bad. Yeah, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, def- definitely recommend watching the show. I will say though, with the caveat that probably the first six to eight episodes are pretty much just random things happening before the story actually starts to get settled. They're in. still fun, and you'll still <laughs>
0: enjoy it. But but you'll, you'll 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 wonder why isn't the thing that we know is all supposed to be happening yep. happening? Which is which yeah. is the the Avatar getting where he's supposed to be going?
1: Yeah, Yeah. Uh, So, okay, let's talk about studio news Now, we did a a level head post-mortem on Friday Uh, So we'll just talk a little bit about post-mortems What's going on with that? Why do you do them? What's the story with post-mortems? Sam, you want to to kick this off?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it's almost like when you you start a project You know, you typically want to sit down for at least 30 seconds And say, why am I doing this? What's the goal? At least 30 seconds What's the goal? Who's involved? Et cetera uh, and kind of plan out the path. Um, really, having a really clear vision up front is very helpful, uh, even in a jam context. You know, we've talked about this in, in in game jams. We'll usually take just you know an hour or so, talk about stuff, and then and then get our basically thirty second plan put down on the whiteboard, and that guides literally two days worth of dev. Right. So what happens then on the end of a project is that you kind of need to do the same thing but backwards. Because what's really important about uh, whenever you actually do manage to finish something is taking a beat. And looking back at how that finishing actually occurred, uh any of the major problems you saw, and then also, if you have a history of work at that point, a body of work uh to ask the question on a really high level, are there any patterns in the execution or in the flaws of this work that I've also seen in my previous stuff right so is there any meta level things that I clearly need to recognize and work on those two and the whole point is that it's you know you could just keep on moving forward as fast as possible you know leave no time between projects etc uh but really you want it's again a devops principle you want you want to be able to take the lessons that you that are that are visible in uh your previous history of work and essentially take the time to extract them make changes based on them such that you don't make the same (sighs) damn mistakes the next time around you'll make different also take some time to dig for those that aren't visible yes because i think i think most of the things that you get to learn from from a project are the ones that that in terms of advancing the next one you know, and, and doing it better are things that you can't actually see if, if all you do is think back to what happened. And you need some forms of kind of guided, uh, guided thoughts basically to ask questions like, where is waste happening? The kinds of stuff that goes mm-hmm. into like a DevOpsy kind of analysis, uh, it's actually those pieces, those things that force you to think about the problems in a different way uh, that allow you to reveal the hidden stuff and figure out what you're missing. Yeah, so asking vague questions like, how did it go? don't do that uh, hey, <laughs> yeah. you're not you're not you're not directing your brain in the effective enough yeah, way the question always is, is along which dimension you know did did something happen mm-hmm. and so uh what we did on friday then was we just sat down and, and we had this you know big list of questions to burn through uh, and they're not complicated it's stuff like uh, you know where did we spend too much time in dev uh what was what were some expensive moments or decisions that we made uh what what are repeat problems that we've seen now that levelhead's done that we've also seen in our previous projects?
1: Uh, Etc. And so you just kind of Ooh, my my favorite question though was what information did we choose to ignore that turned out to be important
0: mm-hmm. or, right? or, or that because mis- that's
1: inter- or that we misinterpreted um, we misinterpreted yeah. yeah because that's that's always the case that uh, a, as we are like choosing what kind of a game to make or when to launch it or what features to put in or whatever we're always making these decisions based on a, a variety of factors one of which is looking out into the market. And trying to figure out where we fit, right? Like, where does this game belong? Are we doing something new? Are we doing something that people want? Like, are we making a game that, that uh, has, a, has a place in the market and all those things? And uh, we're making those decisions around a lot of external information. But, but just because we have the information doesn't mean that we used it, right? Sure. <laughs> uh, or and, used
0: it well in retrospect. Yeah. Given and given so, that we'll also know a whole, so you always know like it's not fair to also look back and be like, I should have done this and like I'm an idiot for not, right? Although right. Like, sometimes that is true. But but mm-hmm. usually it certainly isn't helpful. But it's it's usually the more the case that now that I've learned a whole bunch of other stuff and now that I've seen the outcome and I can put that original decision into a bigger context and interpret it better, then now I can see where if I had made a different decision there, the outcome might have been this other thing that I yeah. think is better, right? And then the question there is not like, oh no, now I have to just feel sad about how that wasn't the decision I made. But the question is, is there is there something some some way of looking at the world that you can pull out of that that you get to move that take take, take that right. thing moving forward?
1: Right. Yeah, figure out the why. Like, why did I ignore this information, and what yeah. was the consequence? And and if that mattered, how do I you know? Try to avoid making that same. Yeah, is this uh, is this mistake.
0: specific to this one project, or is it something a little bit more universal that I can take and move forward?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I personally, I, I love doing these things because it really it just makes you dig deep, you know, and just think what what happened, why did we do the things that we did, um, and and then and then you get to just like bundle it into a nice a nice package of of rules and ideas going forward. And we actually – so as, we, as we've been working on Crashlands 2, uh, which we're still in this kind of like pre-production planning phase for Crashlands 2. where We're just, we're just asking a lot of questions about what is this game even going to be? Um, and in some cases, the questions are like, is this even the right game to make? You know, mm-hmm. and, and going back through the uh, – we, we were able to go through the, our Crashlands postmortem, which is four years old at this point because we finished Crashlands over four years ago. And we did a postmortem afterwards, um, and we we got to go back and look at, at at the decisions that we made, why we did the things that we did, how at that at that time, how we thought that worked, and where we thought the game would be going you know from there um, and it's nice to have this all recorded because of course, we don't have to try to me- memory is unreliable. And we don't have to try to remember all the things that happened and all the reasons we did those things. Uh, so it's been incredibly helpful. If you if you are, are in an industry where you you develop you know projects like this back to back, or or if you just do this as or like for your own stuff, uh, hobby, um, then it's still good. Like whenever you finish something, then go ahead and jam out post mortem. Oh yeah, right? and the, I mean this this
0: mm-hmm. review process is it's not something you can think about post mortems as like they're these mega reviews, right? Where it's uh, yeah, you spent two years on something. Now spend a day or two thinking about what just happened. Um, but doing this review process on just about anything will improve. You can that do
1: thing. it. Do it week by week. Yeah, I mean, but it, it maybe, doesn't even have to maybe, be, maybe you're on.
0: It doesn't even have to be about the project. Though. That's what I'm saying. Like I used to do these every week, just just for my own stuff.
1: Just, it's just like, how, how's my life going?
0: Yeah. How, how did this go this week? How was my relationship this week? What can I do? You know, what did I do wrong? Like, it's like, there's a lot to getting out of that. And then when I do, uh, if you're doing art practice or coding practice or stuff like that, um, this is exactly the sort of thing to do there too, which is you don't just draw a ton of pictures and expect to get better. That's just not how it works. You, you draw a picture and then literally do a review and say, how, like, where did I have trouble? What do I need to focus on? Blah, blah, blah. And like it seems weird because you'll spend less time drawing, but you will get better so much faster than everybody else is just yeah. scribbling, right?
1: Yeah, because you'll need to be drawing. You'll spend the right more time reason.
0: drawing the right things. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing with, uh, with work and life too. So,
1: yeah. So that, that that's super fun. Uh, definitely, definitely think about in, incorporating post mortems as a routine aspect of whatever it is uh, that you do. Uh, otherwise, studio news: the patch, the Levelhead patch. It's currently in beta uh, on mobile now, so we are in Steam beta and mobile beta. We are reaching that point where we're just kind of like chipping away at a few small last-minute bugs, um, but it's about ready to be uh, submitted for, for console cert, and then it'll, it'll come out mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, <laughs> yep, the, the, the cert process, you know, we, we've developed our own internal cert process to try to anticipate all the things, you know, that we might run into during the, the console cert. Yeah, the so we're getting,
0: give you a check, or not exactly a checklist, but a, a document anyway, yeah. describing all the requirements that you have to pass so that you, you get to know ahead of time. But, but some of them are a little bit up to interpretation when it comes to the specifics of your game. And yeah, so, there's
1: varying levels of enforcement, you know, yeah. uh, uh, as time goes passes, but uh, but we, we've gotten we feel like we've gotten pretty good at, at understanding these requirements and and getting through. So um, we don't anticipate any particularly major snags. But at the same time, uh, just because of a lot of the things that are going on, especially with the, the pandemic, uh, these these cert timelines have shifted a lot. And they are they've become more unpredictable. Yeah. So it'll still be a while
0: before the patch actually comes out. <laughs> long yeah, and we but. can't
1: we can't yet say uh, when the patch will, will come because it's not really up to us at uh, this point. But but we are it's it's moving along and it's it's in a really good spot. And actually um uh E D feed made a great uh a YouTube video where he just kinda like Ran through, it, took him a half hour, but he ran through all of the things, <laughs> all of the new things in the patch. Um, and he, he did it on Twitch, so you can see people kind of uh, uh chatting in there. And uh, definitely go to the uh, the levelhead subreddit and you, you'll be able to find that uh, video cool. there. Um, so then last little bit of news. So this past week, we've just been working on uh we're, we're calling it the B ID burn down. Uh, so B Scotch ID is a very old piece of. Web technology and all (laughs) web technology. Slash crap. uh, Yeah. All all of our old games rely on it. They're built on it. Um, This is really bad and it keeps us from being able to maintain those games or patch them. Or even like when we launched Levelhead, you know, we had the conversation of of how cool it would be to get a a quest in Crashlands where you can like get a GR18 pet because Crashlands has pets, right? Like what if you could uh, what if you could get a perk in levelhead that would give you a gr eighteen pet and crashes it would be crazy right well, guess what uh, we can 't we can 't do that because bscotch mm-hmm. uh, d because levelhead uses rumpus and crashes uses b J.D. and Beast got J.D. is so fragile we cannot change anything in there um, so we 've been looking at all this and and we know that we have to to change it, and so we've we 've landed on this kind of. Kind of f- fun solution, so without going into the like technical web shit, um, the basics of it is Bscotch ID right now is doing its own thing, and Rumpus is doing its own thing. We want, we want to get rid of Bscotch ID and only have Rumpus, so we are essentially turning Bscotch ID into a tube that just connects all of the old games to Rumpus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so you'll, you'll, you'll be just playing your, your Quadrupus Rampage or whatever, and you won't even know it, but it's already the case that all of your b ID perks in Quadrupus Rampage, they're in Rumpus now. Yep, You mm-hmm. didn't even know. You didn't even know that that happened. Which is a level per- head.
0: Level head could go fetch those. Like, we don't yeah. have a reason to yet or maybe ever, But but it could, which is the important thing.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah um so that's that's like phase one is is basically turning all of these parts of bscotch a d into tubes The intubing, uh and then and then part two is is in the games themselves ripping bscotch a d out and putting rumpus in yeah the um, the
0: goal being goal to make it as seamless as possible uh, and the one thing that we did learn after after taking through bscotch AD's d's code uh was that we can't make it completely seamless because the login system is so bad and dumb yep that we don't that we basically can't trust it so I'm not going to give any details obviously because one that would bore with reasons. people but also because you know security right
1: but it's, it will be the case that you'll have to log back in. You into will Rumpus. have to log
0: back in once we replace BeScatch ID with Rumpus because yeah. because we can't we we cannot sufficiently trust a Bscotch ID login to allow it to manage your data
1: on. Rumpus. But here's the crazy yeah. part. Here's the crazy part, and I'm so I'm so pumped about it. Is that we're we've added Bscotch ID as a way to log into Rumpus. Yeah. So so you can still just use your Bscotch ID credentials from from before so when we put Rumpus into say Quadrupus Rampage you'll just hit the login button just put in your same BSGOTCH ID username and password and now you're logged into Rumpus yep mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so we're, is- doing, we're doing all this fun shit It's 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 been really interesting yeah are we also going to
0: let you like in Quadrupus Rampage or in Crashlands are we also going to let you log in using the platform native methods or we, we
1: can we, we, haven't, we haven't really settled on that, but uh, because we've already got those hooked up to Rumpus now, it should not be very hard for us to add, like, Google Play Game Services login yeah, or Apple sign in or whatever. It's yeah. probably going
0: to be uncommenting some things, so. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think that – to step it all the way back, the reason this is super important, because uh, I think that what's been really fun about it for, for Admin and Seth, and sure, is sort of burning down this thing that has been a – just a constant, low-key source of issue. Yeah, basically, a a a source of work and anxiety, just for years, just for years. And so, as far as you know, again, we talk about when you wrap up a project and and you start moving, either even like you know with with Level Heads Update, this is something we started working on while we were working on Level Heads Update. In other words, uh, you know, we consider we're talking about about Level Head, we're talking about the ability to to keep on adding stuff to it in the future, even if even if that's something we do a couple more times. Uh, while we're working on, a, on the on the next project, like Crashlands Two, we want to be able to before we like really embark uh, and get away from all this code, is to like just clean it up, just clean everything up, burn stuff down that should have been burnt down years ago. Like take the time uh, so that when we return to either Levelhead or Crashlands or Quadruped Rampage or whatever, uh, that we can actually you know enjoy. We can actually add stuff to work. Uh, we can add some stuff. Yep. Uh, we can also not be just constantly worried that maybe something's going to explode. So it's a super exciting time, in a, in a weird, uh, it's a cleaning out your closet sort of a sense. It's very exciting to get it all done.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I am. It's just such a relief. It's the, it's the <laughs> spring cleaning of game development, yes. right? Uh, yeah. So that's all the stuff that we've got going on uh, in the studio. A lot of a lot of interesting like lessons that we're pulling out, and and it's on the one hand, it can it can feel like we are quote doing nothing in the sense that the next project is not being actively developed mm-hmm. right now. Um, but that's okay. We got to take this time to make sure that we can actively develop the next project quickly and easily. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, all right. Well, that's uh, I think that's all the studio news. So let's get on to questions. All right, these questions come from our listeners over at, Podcast.bscotch.net. Highest upvoted question comes from Chalosis. What game would you make if you had a one hundred million dollar budget?
0: Uh, I don't um. know.
1: <laughs>
0: the same game that if we didn't, in the sense that I, th- I think, because I think, kind of the idea here that's sort of being conveyed is that you can make, you can now. There's no longer constraints, right? You can do whatever you want. You can, you can get, you could go as big as you want, right? I had the same thought. But there's a bunch of consequences to all of that, right? Which include, you're going to have to hire a bunch of people. I don't want to manage people. Managing people is unpleasant and sucks. We don't want to do it. So (laughs) I still want to keep the smallest team possible. Um, Okay, so there's that. Uh, We could, you know, go into 3D, right? Like, make a new 3D thing. So this is going to require rebuilding all of our tools and learning, becoming experts now in a different engine and a different way of thinking about Mm. game design problems. Uh, So... But that one, that one's a maybe because that one we could still do without necessarily having to like scale up everything else because with all that money, we could use it as a runway to train and to build tools. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so for me, when it comes to like, if we just had an unlimited budget, which is actually the dream, right? Just to have a game do so well that we now have a, to me, it's not actually about an unlimited budget for the next title. It's an unlimited runway. So that it doesn't matter what we make anymore. That's to me, that's the dream. We, we get to make whatever we want. We don't worry about commercial viability. We don't worry about if we have to train for fucking two years to do it. We don't have to worry if we say actually, actually, we do want to hire somebody to do this one specific thing because we don't want to deal with that or whatever. Right? We can do that. We can do anything. Um. So that yeah, but 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 I don't want what I don't want to have happen is that we scale up for the sake of scaling up, or that we build an MMO that we now have to like manage and maintain, and now hire yeah, and have oh, a right, have a customer service hire a customer team, customer with... service, whatever to deal with. Yeah. Um. Because because the sure you can you can afford it now from a financial perspective, right? But that's actually the, – the easy part is just having less money, right? As in like spending money on something, right? So if you have more money, like, ooh, now I can spend more money. Like that, that was the easy part. You just did the easy part. The rest of it the is hard the consequences, part, of, which the is hard all the hard part
1: work. is time. Yeah, like, the hard part is time. Time is the limiting factor. So if, if we had a $100 million budget, I would say we would just – personally, I would want to just – do the thing we were already doing, but we can just take longer to do it bigger. Yeah. You know? And I like, would
0: honestly yeah. probably work less. I'd probably work four day weeks instead of five day weeks. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Just pace yourself more. I'd just pace myself you know? more.
0: I would worry about it. I would worry about everything. Well, I wouldn't worry about anything, actually, <laughs> is the reality of it, right? I would still you know, do, do the reminds- work, and I would still make the game because, like, that's what we want to do. Um,
1: what this reminds me of is uh, I've, I've seen a lot of, of memes and jokes about this, you know, the current state of the world. Um one of them that keeps recurring is this idea that you know you're an introvert when there's a global pandemic and your lifestyle doesn't noticeably change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is kind of similar. Uh I don't I don't know what it what it means, but just that like that if if we suddenly had a, a hundred million dollar budget, um, then we've all pretty much agreed that we would just kind of keep doing the thing that we were already doing. Uh I think that's good. Right? Yeah, well, if that, that
0: if that had to go into like one game, then I would just say, depending on where that money came from, I would say we need to give most of this back, right? Because we're not. Yeah,
1: I don't know how the fuck you would spend a hundred. Yeah, dollars. or you do something else where you just say, okay, we we'll spend on hire, advertising.
0: We'll hire Sony Santa Monica Studio, who made God of War, and we'll yeah, be like, just do that for Crashlands. And we'll we'll chat about it. You know,
1: <laughs> like, like, we'll just chat about it. Uh, we would need a bigger budget. Yeah, that's than not me. quite enough. <laughs> that's
0: the thing. Yeah, you need a bigger <laughs> budget. Yeah. yeah, I think that's, that's actually the funny point is like. Uh, and I don't know if it's, it's the combination of our expertise at this point plus our realistic uh, understanding of how, how things operate as you scale up means that uh, for the most part, I think we don't necessarily want a $100 million budget for a game. What that if means, we
1: scaled up, we would not be making the game.
0: No, yeah. And team to make it. is that if you have a hundred million dollar budget, you have to keep in mind what that means, which is that your goal is to make more than one hundred million dollars on that project. yeah because you got bring which even on that. which
1: spoiler alert we have not yet managed to do <laughs> <laughs> so we don't know we, we don't know how to make more than a hundred million dollars well the, the fact is we, don't, we don't know how to convert
0: so, one dollar in into one dollar out that's not that's not a thing bro, we can do on yeah, purpose right yep um so so yeah. Actually, if anything, if if we had to actually, so yeah, if we think about this from two ways, one is like we just have that money now, in which case like we'll just spend it. I don't even give a shit because that's that's enough money to pay ourselves for the rest of time, and who cares? Uh, but if we if we had to dump that into one project and then turn a profit on it, because let's say like a publisher gave us that much money, yeah, which what would be insane, for? but yep. right, then I would I would say no. I would say no to that, and I would. Just back That's
1: too and much. slowly. That's too much. We there's, can't- no, there's no reason for us to have that much money. No. There's, there's no, no reason. good reason no. for that. No. Uh, or, or here's here's another. Hear me out, guys. Hundred million dollar budget. Okay. We we pivot. We we no longer do. We no longer make games. We are now just pure podcasting empire. Mm. Because here's the thing, Joe Rogan. He signed a hundred million dollar exclusive contract <laughs> with Spotify. <laughs> oh. So we know. We know that, that at least un, in one case, somebody has demonstrated that you can turn a podcast into $100 million. We know mm-hmm. this now, right? Yeah. So, uh, given that that's the case, I think we I need, think to, we just we need have to add to a go lot for more it.
0: pseudoscience to our podcast, I think, before we can go mm-hmm. oh, yeah. with Joe Rogan. I'm going to need to do yeah, a lot of peyote th- in the mountains also, or something yep. like that. You know, we need yeah, to say, we need to say th- dude and bro a lot more, and then I think, mm-hmm. I think we can get ourselves there.
1: As far as I understand, yeah, the, thing, the things that make a podcast like really go is uh, guests, yeah. uh, conspiracy theories, yeah. and weed. Yep. Those are <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't really do any of those three
0: things. We don't do any of those three things. It's like,
1: those oh, three things. Go. God, it's a so, market fit problem. Right it yeah, is, a, it is a market fit problem, but, you know, we can adapt.
0: Yeah, if we're going to pivot, <laughs> we, we could, might as well just go right into blockchain and AI. You know, that's the future. That's where everybody's really at, at baby. Where
1: yeah. at. That's where the money's at. Uh, all right. Next question comes from Puff Slapper Longy, who says <laughs> – <laughs> Automatic rumpus names are
0: sometimes just off the uh, chain. Yeah. Oh.
1: I would say most of the people who have – who are new uh, to the podcast page who came after the introduction of random rumpus names have just stuck with the random mm-hmm. rumpus names they've gotten, yep. and I'm all about it. Uh, which is so funny because slapper- it's, it's one of those things
0: too because like, if you get a username on something one of the first things you always do is go change it to the one that you want right yes. even if you don't even know that there's an option you assume it's an opportunity to go figure it out it's actually easy to find in for, for rumpus right so that means that these people got that name and, and they, they were like this
1: is who I am yeah, this is perfect there's no no reason for me to change this Yep. Uh, so Puff slapper says recently one of you I assume Sam mentioned that you had really gotten into animation during level head yeah, probably sad. that was the accurate uh, <laughs> I was I was wondering what kind of process you use for animation and if you have any tips for breaking into animation
0: I got no tips for breaking into it because I just started doing it more literally in the midst of a project for a studio that I run so That's nobody hired me to do this I guess is an important note um, but I think as far as the the high interest goes for me it's a uh, it came from or I guess just, you know, the extent of it is a still a very basic sort of bare bones study at this point. Like I, because of the limited frames that, that we tend to, to the frame restrictions we put on our games. So I haven't gotten to do a lot of in-betweens and breakdowns and all sorts of other fancy stuff. Uh, it's mainly just, just really trying to make clear lines of action and get really good uh, keyframes and stuff like that. So when it comes to tips for it, uh, I think one is, is to make sure you. Like the question is, how do you start studying It's it? probably the real question here right it's like yeah yeah so i mean there's honestly there's a really good um i looked at pixel art tutorials for animation um and in fact for vector art and just for video game art in general if you're doing 2d stuff people they always frame it as like oh it's a pixel art tutorial for shading but the reality is like if you just take the lessons and apply it to whatever 2d you might be painting something doesn't matter uh the lessons are always good um if they're really really high quality tutorial on pixel art and that's a way to actually find out because pixel art is one, one of the few artistic mediums that is, of course, embracing the exact constraints that you typically have in a video game context. And so um, I found those super useful and I looked at uh, – in particular, there's uh, this guy named uh, – uh, Saint Eleven was his Patreon, I think. Um, I think it's Pedro. He did some work on Celeste and, and a bunch of other stuff. He's done a bunch of really incredible pixel art. And there's these GIFs these gif breakdowns of like how to how to animate an explosion and it's just frame by frame and, it, and it's also yep. it's a gif so it's actually going while you're looking at it which is kind of amazing um so i literally as i was you know in level head as we were working on various things i'd be like oh how should i like instead of just saying i'm going to animate lightning now and just make it some dumb shapes to do it. yeah i would you know, just take literally an hour go find a tutorial someone made uh, or two uh and then do the tutorials and then you know put my own spin on it and so that's really – it's been in sort of like a bit by bit sort of a way as we've been going along. And so that's why the animations for level heads creatures and stuff uh, have gotten more complicated as, as the project went on. Um, they now do – even like, like the jibber jabbers, the creatures that are coming in on the, the new patch have a much more aggressive and, and different uh, animation style than, than the previous characters do. They really distort like their jaws kind of like fully opens and stuff. So as far as the tooling, this is actually an issue, which is that I'm using Inkscape, which, shocker, is not for animation. I'm an animation tool. <laughs> so how do it's I animate? Uh, basically, I draw the, the first thing, whatever the, the creature actually is, uh, after doing the sketches. Do the, do the drawing there, and then just duplicate it, and then put it into position, however it needs to be for, for the animation, or draw the new frame, new keyframes. And then I have to fucking export this, and upload it, onto gifmaker.net, okay? And then play it back uh-huh. so I can see. Yeah, so Adam said they're grimacing because this is one part of our tools pipeline that there are no tools that we currently have in yeah, the pipeline. Yeah, we got to work. And it's basically, we, we built our, uh, our art tooling pipeline back in the Crashlands days. Like, it actually has not been updated for LevelHead. Nope. And even the beginning of LevelHead, there still wasn't a decision that we we're going to, because to, during the, the Crashlands time, Seth did all the innovation and code. Yeah, um, Correct. And so Sam would make an art asset and then break it into pieces and export it as individual pieces. Then Seth would go animate it somehow. Uh, and and that was a Somehow
1: thing, indeed. Somehow.
0: <laughs> and I think that was kind of the plan <laughs> with uh, with Levelhead at the start at least was like mm-hmm. basically keep on doing what we're doing, right? And then Sam had been getting into animation and like trying more and more stuff. And then eventually – The truth is like – I mean Levelhead is when I got run. into art. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like actually yep. got into it. And so it's absolutely yeah you're absolutely right. Adam. Like we didn't we didn't plan to do a lot of animation, and then it turned out that I had built I think I think Gerotin has like 58 or more frames baseline, and then all the different power up frames. Um, so
1: I mean since I've been working on the Crashlands project, um, so Crashlands has texture pages at at 2048 by 2048, right? Uh, and it has like 28 texture pages. Levelhead's texture pages are each four times the size because the, they're 4096 by 4096. Mm-hmm. And it has like 65 texture pages. Yeah. so Levelhead I'm, has a fuckload more art than yeah. Crashlands Oh, slides. yeah. 100%. Like, I, I made, there's so much more
0: art in Levelhead than, than in Crashlands. It's kind of ridiculous. So a lot of it is in animation, right? Because uh, frame by frame stuff is just Yeah, totally. Expensive. Um, yeah, I mean, I've really enjoyed it. I think as far as as far as uh, you know, cracking into the animation industry, like I said, I, I don't think I can actually honestly give any good advice as far as the cracking in part. But as far as just the practice goes, it's the same thing, which is uh, don't think about it as like a huge gigantic uh, task to go undertake. Learn and all dispense. of animation. Yeah,
1: animation you can't just thing. learn animation. Yeah, right? it's
0: like if you have a project and you're like, oh, "I'm going to put a bird in here." Just ask the question: How can I animate this bird? And if you want to do it in, in sort of 2D frame by frame style, that's one thing. If you want to do it in more of the bone animation style, um, that's another. If you're doing 3D, it's another. And just say, okay, like find a tutorial. Someone's like, here's how you animate a bird flying. And then just do it. Um, and you just sort of stack these things bit by bit as opposed to trying to tackle it like just wholesale. Because I think it's just much easier to see the progress as you go and roll things. Is there, some, uh, uh, is there some foundational knowledge that's like gestures or something that's really useful oh, yeah, for yeah, yeah. yeah. Sort so, of thing? Yeah, so gesture drawing is incredibly good. Um and there's again there's smears. There's videos, yeah, there's videos on uh on YouTube for this. Gesture drawing incredibly important and fundamental for anything involving motion, if you're trying to convey motion. Okay, so there's that. Uh there's the 12 fundamentals of animation. There's a YouTube series on these. That's fantastic. And these are basically the the 12 it's it's just like fundamentals for, you know, drawing or anything else where it's the 12 things that if you do these things, your stuff looks good. And that's about it. Um, and then there's smears, which come in a couple different flavors. And again, just look up YouTube videos on animation smears, uh, which are just like my favorite thing ever. It's basically the the abstraction of motion blur because you don't have motion blur when you're doing frame-to-frame animation. So you simulate it by drawing it in. Uh, sometimes, you know, that means a character for a single frame has eight eyes and their arm is stretched across – the entire screen and they look like a demon for a sec, but when yeah, you watch it, play back, it frames are pretty, are pretty wild. If you, if you catch them, if you, if you take a screenshot or something like, and catch the right moment in an animation, you'll be like, what the fuck am I looking <laughs> yep. oh, at? So good. Uh, yeah. So I think that's why I liked it so much where it's like you, the way you break down the between keyframes that the way you put a smear in there or a pose in there, whatever else ends up completely changing the feel of the animation. And it's just so fun. So yeah, I, I've had a really good time exploring it. But those those things are kind of the, the big ones to so, and again, just check it out on YouTube and then just slowly, bit by bit, just kind of integrate it into your whatever you're working on. It's a ton of fun.
1: Yeah. Also, you saying uh you know, this this idea about somebody saying like, I want to learn animation, but actually that that animation is it's a collection of hundreds and hundreds of small, skills like, s- skills and ideas. It kind of reminds me of when people say, I'm not good at computers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which part? title is like, what turning part about computers? Like. Uh, anyways. All right. Uh, next question comes from Beaky Boop, who says, So, it looks like there won't be a Shenanah Jam or a shenanicon this year. Mm-hmm. So what will fill the void of events starting with Shenanah? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I know the, so well, the Game Maker's Toolkit is what we've been pushing people toward for the uh, Shenanah
0: Jam fix because it ends up being on the same weekend anyways. And that's a lot bigger than ours is. It's now is. huge. It's like a couple thousand people in there uh, this year. It's and like so, 10 times bigger or 20 times yeah, bigger. Yeah, I think it's at least 4,000 people or something. So, yeah, yeah i definitely go do that. I mean, uh, Mark Brown's channel, by the way, if you if you like game design, the game maker Toolkit channel is fantastic. He does these really kind of long-form breakdowns on just various design things. I mean, it's they're super good. I literally use them for reference. I'm like, oh. What do people think about stealth games? Just Google that thing and then find his stuff and I'm like, okay, I now know what is. He's
1: did. got some, he's got some good ideas. He's got some great stuff. But I I think this kind of we we had some conversations about this earlier this year about the Shenana Jam, the Shenanah uh their their role like how they mm-hmm. how they fit into our broader goals as a studio. And the thing we kept kind of coming back to is like it's too early. Yeah. It, it's actually, you know, we 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 had some ideas and we, we ran the shenanigan, um a few times and, and we'd get, you know, 35, 40 people uh, to come to that to come to come that thing, which is – and it was fantastic and it was great to get to, to meet all those people um, and spend, spend time. But at the same time, uh, if we're going to put on like a, a convention to try to like bring together people from across the country who are fans of the games and stuff like that, you know, it, we probably want to go bigger. Than than
0: that. When you realize like, okay, your studio can really only produce like four hours worth of convention content.
1: Yeah, well, this is this you is know. the problem because like, when we're looking at something like BlizzCon, you know, Blizzard is a huge company and they have, they have hundreds and of hundreds games. hundreds of people,
0: hundreds of employees, and
1: so they got tons of games, tons of employees, and they'll they'll have a, an entire weekend. They got panels, they got events, they got cosplay competitions. Mm-hmm. So like, it is a convention um, that is, is they a also huge have celebration. a
0: thirty-five-year history of game
1: content yeah well and that's that's really the key right because like blizzcon didn't start until blizzard had been around for like 17 years or some shit i think the first one was in like 2005 um and so so think about those terms you know our studio is is young our ip is not as well known it's it's not well established um and we're, we're still kind of like getting ourselves propped up in the industry, and and the fact is, since it's since we're still small, it's still us uh, primarily uh, making the games. And you know, if we take our time to to throw these conventions or host these jams and stuff, um, it's just too early because that's time that we need to be spending building our IP more and, and like putting more mm-hmm. into into developing our our games. Um, so we, we've kind of decided to ease back on on pursuing these like. These big events for now, until we reach a point where, uh, where we where we feel a lot more comfortable with the scope and reach of our portfolio and just how big our audience is and, and yeah. that kind of stuff. And speaking to that, I mean, so, I think
0: over the last couple of years, there's also been a big shift in terms of our approach to jams generally. Which is that it used to be the case that like I could never wait to go like work on a random ass game for you know forty hours over a weekend and then throw it in the trash can afterward. Um, We've done that a bunch now, and I think it actually, it honestly, I think it, it, for me, it, it sort of uh, hit its peak last year with Fields of Goop because we built we made
1: an MMO, we built a fucking <laughs> MMO
0: in two days, and so and it was worked. Like, and it worked, and like, and I honestly, that like that memory of of I think we had like seventy people who popped into that thing during the like at the, yeah, yeah, the yep. gym, and everyone's just like hanging out, eating each other because you could do that in that game, uh, just sitting down and chatting because we had a chat client in there, and like. It was so wonderful and magical. And I was like, I'm I am good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. And I think what I, really what I want when I get a, you know, a two day jam or something, I still like to jam, but it literally now is always about some, some specific hard thing with whatever the current project is. It's like, oh, I mean, we did this actually I think with Levelhead once or twice. Um, uh, in fact, we did with the new player experience thing. We were like, okay, let's, let's take like two days and just make, make some tutorial stuff, make some of these, all these changes that we just found. Uh, and so oh, that's true.
1: Yeah, we did it uh, during the global game jam. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, Friday, we didn't, we didn't, uh, we didn't do, we didn't make a game. Instead, we just worked our asses off on establishing a new player experience for Levelhead. Yep, and, and that was the whole was, weekend.
0: And it was great. It was so fun. And I think part of it was like, as as the reality of like you know running and owning a, a business comes and stuff like that, it's like you get to this point where you you say, you know, well, we know what the issues are. Or so We know what some of the things are that we haven't had the time to examine. And Jam is really just about that sort of freewheeling, like, let's go explore. Let's go do something wild and, and then have something done. And I think that those are exactly the targets that then are really fun to do that on. Where you say, okay, we haven't done the new player experience stuff with Levelhead on Friday afternoon after work's done until uh, Sunday night. The goal is to uh, identify everything, make a plan, and then execute as much as humanly possible by Sunday night, right? And, yeah, they're really fun. They're so fun to do. And so, yeah, I don't know. I feel like our approach
1: has just kind of changed a little
0: bit. I think it just became more fun to do it on an existing project than to make. Yeah, that's a true. One, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's definitely true.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that, that – because, oh man, we have to have done at least, like, 60 jams. We've done our fair share, a, yeah. yeah. As a team. And that's disregarding the ones that I've done, you know, solo and – um or even just, like, weekend – prototyping and stuff like that. I mean they are they are so unbelievably useful for establishing a wide and deep library of knowledge about how to build things, mm-hmm. right? Like just just getting something up and running and figuring out what are the pieces, what do you have to consider, how do you make these systems talk to each other? Um because I you know, it's something that I I tell people a lot who ask who ask me how to get started in, like, making your own games. And I always tell the story of of Sky Brawler, which was the first game that I worked yeah. on. And I worked on that first game for a year. And I genuinely feel like I didn't really start to learn about what it me- meant to make games um, until I put that project aside and started making a game in a week and a game in a weekend mm-hmm. and another game in three days, you know. Because um, all of a sudden, I was... I was making a huge variety of kinds of games with all different systems and I got to learn about everything, right? And, that, and then that diversity of knowledge is what, uh, is what I think really allowed me to, to accelerate super fast. Yeah, and this is the same so, rule that you see for uh, – if you're, if you're getting started in art or anything
0: else is actually – weirdly enough, even though there's a, there's a strange thing about, uh, about finishing pieces. They Basically, the general rule of thumb is actually you need it. You should only be finishing maximum like one out of every 10 things that you start maximum because the truth is like most of the knowledge uh like unless you're studying finishing in which case don't do the earlier part grab someone's line work for online for example if you're trying to work on coloring and shading don't fucking draw the thing just work on right. the coloring and shading by grabbing someone else's line work. right <laughs> like there's ways to just focus exactly on the thing that you need to be working on quickly as opposed to having to go through the whole process end to end. And I think that's definitely something that we didn't take, like didn't understand early on in game dev, but also I didn't understand uh, in art, honestly, until like like we said with Levelhead uh, last year. And like, Adam, I don't know if this is related to your science stuff at all. as far as getting a, a PhD is concerned, but like multiple smaller, uh, much more rapid, essentially experiments uh, seem to be a much better way to to grow. Yeah, well, I mean, everything else is a lot riskier, right? Because learning is, is being able to to do an entire process and get rapid feedback. Actually, sorry, learning is just rapid feedback. That's the process, right? And the slower the feedback is, the less you learn, sort of by definition. And so if if uh, if the way that you are trying to learn is by making a you know, five-year scale yeah, project, just... then every component of that project, you're now learning about over those five years for, for one specific case, right? Versus if you were to instead take a year of those five years make a different thing every week and make 50 different things right the amount of uh, the amount of knowledge you now have is is vast so that when you go off on what was now going to be an original five-year journey and you've got four years left you can do it in six months or whatever right because mm-hmm. uh, we, we, yeah. like, we take like take like skybrow as seth mentioned working a year on right if you were to make that same thing now that is a jam game right
1: yeah it's a jam mm-hmm. game well well i mean the the purpose of the game was to have a huge amount of content like right. that was the idea behind yeah, it but you didn't have it after uh, a year. i didn't have i had maybe two percent of it uh, yep. Yep. uh done after a year
0: so. yeah but in terms of like what you ended up with after that year though like that 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 quantity mm. so mm-hmm. not the yeah. original design but like the thing you ended up with after a year of work is something that you could now produce today in presumably a, a couple weekend. of weeks yeah right. a yeah, weeks, a time, right? yeah. yeah it's the, the a big point project. being here that that it's that the stuff is very very costly when you don't know much about it or when you only have one approach to a thing and so it's that it's that diversifying of experience that is the thing that allows you to go fast later and it's actually so valuable that uh that spending your time up front diversifying your experience is going to be a beneficial long-term investment that makes your future projects go so much faster that you didn't even lose time. It's just DevOps Mm -hmm. all over again, right? Uh, You got to invest your time in the right spots up front. Um, And and I think you do need to be careful with the idea of like, of only practicing starting things or only practicing certain portions of things and so on. Because like the the other trap that we see people fall into is, is basically never finishing things. And so they don't know how to do that part Mm -hmm. and, uh, and finishing something. So, so starting a thing is, is, that's that's the first thing that's the hardest right because you don't even know how to start yet right so starting a thing is the hardest then eventually you can start stuff you can do that now you started a whole bunch of things right and then now finishing stuff is the hardest because you've already known how to, how to start stuff and people kind of forget that that finishing a thing isn't just continuing to do the thing until you decided you're done that's not yep. how that works right it's identifying it's it's actually mostly about identifying what's important and identifying missing <laughs> and whether missing. it's all actually about triage yeah, yeah. It's, it's about it's about cost benefit analysis. Yep. And in understanding what a thing is for, and like and like, and then determining market fit, and like all this kind of stuff that is not really about the initial part, which is, ooh, I have this idea for a cool thing, right? Finishing it is all now. What's the point of this? What am I doing with this? And how do I get to that end state uh, as rapidly as possible? With you know, following the good enough principles so that I don't spend five years perfecting animations that have twice as many frames as they need because nobody's mm-hmm. gonna give a shit when they see it, right? And that sort of thing. So so these are all different and I think and then when it comes to any discipline, being able to rapidly iterate on complete projects that are somehow representative of larger scale complete projects because they, they let you do every single piece of it, but just with a much tighter feedback loop. Um, I think that that is how you learn how to become able to actually produce and actually implement
1: mm-hmm. yeah well this is you know think about it as a cost cost benefit thing uh, if you've never done something and you have no information of what it will take to, to do that thing to make that game or whatever you you don't know the costs right yeah and if you if you if you never finish something you also don't know the benefits yeah. because, <laughs> because 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 right. if you so if you if you spend like a like a year or two working on one game that you never finish then your diversity of knowledge about various game systems and how to execute various things will be very limited, and you also won't know what it takes to to finish something, and you won't know the possible benefits of finishing the thing either. Yep. So there was a there was this thing called a I don't know if it's still running, but it's a website called One Game a Month.
0: Yeah, I think it's which was
1: one game. Yeah, which was yeah, it was like a community of people who just said I want to learn how to make games, and I'm going to start and finish and publish a game every month. Uh, for some amount of time, maybe for a year or something like that. And uh and you can see like people who do this thing, their their game that they make in month twelve is vastly better <laughs> than the game they make in month yeah. one. So uh, now
0: imagine they just started making that game in month one and just kept on working on that for twelve months yep. instead. Right. Well now, now you just have a shitty thing that took you twelve months instead of a shitty cool giant
1: thing. thing. A you shitty know. giant
0: spaghetti nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Uh yeah. So it's, that's definitely the the approach to take. Um Anyways, oh, I think that's all the time we have for this week. Yep. Yep, definitely, definitely. Uh, So anyways, we'd like to uh, thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators to keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the community Discord, a way for you to donate, and a link to the podcast archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.